0: foundation, just to get us us in the right mindset as we we look at our text today. And you're not going to turn to these texts, I'll just read them for us. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure And weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, either according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? God, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And finally, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make paths, your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. We are people in great need. Let me begin by saying that again so we can all feel the weight of that statement. We are people who are in great need. We are in dependence. We are dependent on Jesus for everything in our lives, each and everything. From the beating of our hearts to our next breath to being safe on the roads, we're fragile people. And sometimes we can forget that. We like to pretend that we have it all together, don't we? We want to come across that we are very capable, right? We want everyone to think, I've got this, I'm capable, I'm self-sufficient, that I'm autonomous. Boy, do we love that term. So I looked up this term to see what does it mean to be autonomous. And here is the definition that you find with a quick Google search online. First definition, the quality or state of being self-governing. And the next one down, I think, applies more to our hearts and our desires. It says self-directing freedom, especially moral dependence, right? We, we work towards this. We want everyone to see us as someone that we can make our own decisions. We don't need anyone. We don't answer to anyone. I do what I want, when I want, and I can control the outcome, right? This is in part to the American dream, isn't it? It's all about what I have inside, and I'm going to make it happen For my own glory, you know, 80%, I saw this online earlier this week, 80% of millennials polled said that becoming rich is a major goal in their life. And over 50% of these same people said becoming famous is a major goal. And I got to thinking, if everyone is famous, who is left to be average? Who is left to be normal? You remember when we were kids, I mean, if you ask the average little boy, a little girl, what do you want to be when you grow up? A little boy, a fireman, right? I want to be a superhero. I want to be this, a baseball player, a football player, a little girl, I want to be a ballerina. Or I want to be a princess, right? So it's normal at this age to say, I want to be one of these huge things that everyone knows about. But as we get older... In general, that starts to become a little more you know, mature and a little more reasonable in our desires. But more and more, it's become that if we don't become that biggest version of ourselves, that it's a failure to work a regular job, to live a normal life, to simply serve the Lord, love your family, and do what you do, that would be second best in so many people's minds. Because it has to be fame, it has to be riches, and nothing else will do Our text in a nutshell today is this. Self-sufficiency does not exist, but we pursue it out of pride. The truth is we can't control what happens an hour from now. Do we trust Jesus? Do we acknowledge that he alone directs our lives? Knowing that he is in charge isn't enough. We must live in light of that truth. So let's read our text together. This is James 4, 13 through 17. It says this. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So the title of our sermon this morning is, A Sermon on James 4, God willing. Didn't want to be presumptuous based on our text this morning. <laughs> and our, our points will be these. We'll have four points. Don't be afraid. Some will be shorter than others. And the first one is, sounds okay to me. Second, I'm sorry, but you are not privy to that information. Three is who's in charge here, and four, just call it what it is. I know my, uh, my titles and my, my points generally sound like Jeopardy! categories, but stick with me. All right, so our first point is this, sounds okay to me. So James the Just, by way of reminder, it's been a little while since I've been preaching in James here, and so James the Just, he's a half-brother of Jesus, and we remember that we see in the Gospels that at first he did not believe in Jesus, right? He's actually saying, why don't you go over to that, why don't you go over to that gathering and do some of your miracles, just because he wanted to see what his brother would do. It says because his brothers did not believe in him yet. In 1 Corinthians 15, we see named by name as Jesus... Uh, appears to his disciples and to many others having resurrected, he appears to his brother James. And so something happens in between because here we are at the beginning of James where he refers to himself not as an unbeliever, not as Jesus' brother, but as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was known as James the Just and the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. So he is writing to the 12 tribes in this version. He's writing to Jewish believers who are not around him, people that are separated from the main body. So just by way of reminder. So let's look at our first point sounds okay to me and this is James 4:13 come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. So in this chapter, in chapter 4, James has been chipping away at self-righteousness. And now he is chipping away at self-sufficiency. You remember, the chapter begins with what causes wars? What causes quarrels among you? And in typical James fashion, he doesn't give you a chance to give a terrible answer. He says, here's the reason. It's because you want things. And you can't have them, so you fight. This is the answer. He gives the question, then he says, well, here's the real answer for you. And he does the same thing uh, a couple verses from now. So he says, at the beginning of James 4, who causes quarrels? You do. He says, halfway through James 4, who are you to judge your neighbor? Again and again, he's saying, don't think too highly about yourself. So it's with this mindset that James turns the attention from self-righteous people to self-sufficient people. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade, and make profit. Why is it that we read that and say, huh, I mean, what's wrong with that? That doesn't sound like too bad of a thing to say, right? I'm just making plans, aren't I? If you're anything like me, you may be thinking, that, that sounds all right on the surface, doesn't it? Aren't we supposed to be good stewards of our time and our resources? I mean, what's wrong with planning, So are we supposed to be good stewards of our resources and make good plans? Absolutely, right? Of course we are. So however, I think it's clear here that James is not calling out folks for having a business plan. Right? James is not saying, you've made a plan. He's obviously talking to merchants here. You've made a plan and you shouldn't do that. This is presumptuous. There's more to it. He's not talking to them simply because they've said a certain thing. He's getting to the heart behind what they're saying. James is calling out not the words they're saying or even their plans. He's calling out the conditions of their hearts. He's calling out self sufficiency. He's calling out a heart of autonomy. He's calling out, look, I know what I can do in my future, and I can even predict the outcome. He's calling this out. Here's a reminder from a previous sermon we've had in James. The three trees diagram. There's a lot going on in this one. This was the one we used last time. But if you look at the tree on this side, the tree that's all jacked up and not healthy, we remember that the the, the sins that that come out, the things that come out in our lives, a lot of times the, the anger, the slander, the worry, these things... They're showing what's actually going on under the surface, right? And over here in the root of this tree, we see our love of control or money or comfort or intimacy, approval, our need for these things. And when we don't get them is when it kind of sprouts out into this anger and worry and slander, these kinds of things. But the bottom of all of that, the root of every one of our sins and every one of our idols is pride. So I would say it this way. If our idols control comfort fear of man sex money if they're the root of our sin then pride is the water and the dirt. Right, It's what feeds those roots. Pride is a thing that without that, you know, this is a thing that feeds all of them. So let me take you all the way back to Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Let me, see, let me see how the first sin came into the world because of pride. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of any fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4 But the servant said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil, instead of that being a deterrent to someone who has lived so far, however long this has been, a faithful life dependent on God, conversing with him in the cool of the day, instead of that saying, whoa, that's above my pay grade, that's more than I could ever handle, she says, I think that's a great idea. All it takes is for the devil to say, he knows you'll be just like him. Oh, then I can cut out the middleman for the decisions of my life. How quickly humanity can go in that direction. So she goes from, I want to serve the Lord, to being like a nutrition blogger, just like that, right? Five reasons, apples are the perfect food. So here is Eve going directly from being faithful to chasing her own heart, and all of us have done it ever since, right? So pride. Said, be like God, no more middleman between me and authority I am in. No level of will God said not to eat it, so I will not do it, regardless of what his reasoning was. So pride puts yourself and myself in the place of God. Right? This is when we decide we get to make every decision. We are the ones that get to judge every outcome. We get to look around and see other people and decide how they are doing. And for some reason, we think we have some kind of say in the matter, right? This is what pride does. It's wanting his authority and in essence, it's pursuing his glory, right? So this is a question of ultimate authority. When you truly are alone with yourself, who do you really believe gets to make the calls in your life? And this is a tough one, isn't it? I mean, it's really hard because we can affirm Lord's in charge. I work for him. I serve him. Whatever he wants, wherever he sends me, I'll go. Whatever he wants me, I'll do. But the minute the one thing in your day goes south, where does our heart go? Right? We tend to start getting upset and bitter and angry. And, Lord, I'm trying to serve you over here. Why can't this one thing just go well? We start deciding, okay, real quick, in practice, we do believe that we have this authority over the events of our lives, when it's the Lord himself. Clearly, without any care for God's will, the merchants are saying, so look at verse 13. It says, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. They are being presumptuous about a lot of things, right? What? First, when to go? Today or tomorrow? That's when this is going to happen. Right? We're just going to do this. How long to stay? We're going to go into such and such a town. We'll spend one year there. Where to go? Such and such a town. What to do when they get there? We're going to buy. We're going to sell. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to make. And what's going to happen? We're going to make a profit. This is what's going to happen. Hey, guess what, everybody? Tomorrow, I'm out of here. I'm going to be there for a year. I'm going to sell stuff. I'm going to make a ton of money. It's starting to feel a little bit okay. All right, so I'm starting to see why this is wrong, why this is something that the Lord wants us to avoid in our speech, even though it sounds like a sound business plan, right? So first, that first point being sounds okay to me. Second, I'm sorry, but you are not privy to that information. So if you're still not sure, like, why is this, why is this not okay? Why can't I just say this? This is where James says, okay, this is why. So yet you you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So here's problem number one. These folks have planned out the next year, and James says, you don't know what's coming tomorrow. Isn't it interesting that we... Are part of a faith where the Lord tells us where we're gonna be 10 million years from now, right? We'll be there and we'll just be getting started. That we like to say. There'll be no more tears and no more crying, and the Lord Himself will be the Sun. There'll be no need for the Sun because He's the light of that place. And finally, there's no more sin or death or dying. We know what's gonna be happening ten million years from now, but you don't know what's gonna be happening ten minutes from now. Just tell yourself the truth. You don't know if your heart's going to be beating. You don't know if your lungs are going to be working. You don't know if your brain's still going to be working. You don't know what's going to happen when you get in that car and go. You don't know what the next notification on your phone is going to bring about your family or your friend or your job or about the economy. You have no idea. But we presume, don't we? How we presume. We set our sights really far forward in our lives, don't we? A lot of times when we're cooking on things, you know, the goals that we have, whether it's Gaining income or losing weight or whatever it is, we think, okay, five pounds this week, five pounds next week, ooh, six months in, that's this much, right? We we presume on the time. And in doing so, we mentally glaze over real life, which is happening right now. We set these fence posts on the next vacation or the next trip or the next thing. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. That's going to keep me going. And the whole time, the Lord's saying, no, look to me. This I'm what's going to keep you going. But we make our plans and we set our hope in them. We set our hope in these plans. This is the problem. So James goes in 14, he says, so what is your life? And just like he says at the beginning of chapter 4, remember, he says, what causes quarrels? What causes wars? Don't answer that. It's you. Same thing. He says, okay, what is your life? Before you answer that, because how would we normally answer that question? What is your life? Right? Maybe we might say my life. is the the one chance I get to make a mark. My life is my opportunity to be significant. I mean, I only go around once, so I need to experience everything, right? Boy, this is my one chance, so I, I better do this, 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 and this, regardless of what anyone else needs. You know, we can be so deeply steeped in delusions of grandeur that we have this inflated level of self-importance of everything we say and everything we do and everything that our life is, is gonna make such a massive impact around when we realize that God is the one in total control. So we were at the zoo a couple of weeks ago during spring break. We went to look at the lions. I actually have a picture of this, I should have put it up for you. But so there we are at the at the railing with the lion cage, and there was a railing with a squirrel on it, right? And the lion was in the back, and we're looking at this lion. It's almost like every every time he moved and our gaze moved, the squirrel, like, got in the middle. Like, hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. (laughs) And I'm just joking, thinking, wow, isn't this a picture of us, right? We're here to see the lion. And the squirrel's like, right? Majestic, right? You know, we have this delusion of grandeur in our life as if this is all about us. I mean, we're experiencing this story from our own vantage point, but we're not the center of the story. Of the story. The Lord Himself is the center of this story. So what is your life? So he answers the question in a proper way. He says your life is a mist, right? It's a mist that just vanishes. So if you ever seen, you know, like your breath on a cold day, right? If you've ever been outside when it's cold and and you see your breath come out, how long does that last? Is it even, can you even count it? Maybe a second or two, it's just gone. Can you grab it? Can you grasp it? Can you mold it? Can you shape it? Absolutely not. Or uh, seen steam coming off a cup like this in the morning, or maybe when you go out in the morning and the kids wanna play outside, you say, hey, there's there's dew on the ground right now, but just give it it a little while, sun'll come out, it'll be gone. You know it's temporary, don't you? You know it's not gonna be there all day. And James says that this is your life. And this is not in any way to denigrate or to downplay the fact that you and I are made in God's image. So don't hear me saying that. But our life and the impact that we can have in a physical way on this massive planet over the course of all of human history, I think we're a little bit um, thinking a little bit too much of ourselves in that way. He says, your life is a vapor. We're going to crop up, we're going to be gone, and then eternity starts. He says, So stop making these lofty plans without a mind towards the Lord Himself. We want so badly to leave a mark, to make a splash, and we say things like, We want to do big things for God when He never asked us to do big things for Him. He's never once said, Hey, go do something big for me. He says, Just be faithful to me in the small things, go live your life. Go do what it is that you do in a way that shows the world that you love me. So in essence, we want to do big things. We just want to do big things. We want to do them for us. And then maybe once in a while we can give the glory to God and like kind of justify those big things. Which is so many believers find themselves when they reach really high heights, right? Whether it's in sports or in entertainment or things like this, one of the first things that goes is their face. Well, I have it now. I can't let this go. Right? Maybe I did it to do big things for God, but now I have it and I cannot let it go. Right? That's why we see this. If we're so concerned with doing the will of God, what about the obvious stuff? If we're seeking, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Are you reading that it says, this is the will of God for your life? Do you flee sexual immorality? Is that important to you? This is the will of God for your life your sanctification, that you become more like Jesus. Pursue that just as hard as we pursue these other goals in our life. Are we that concerned with God's will for our life? I love this quote I heard years ago. and The first time I quoted it to a friend of mine, he giggled. He thought I was kidding. But I think it's such a beautiful quote. Preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Are you, are you um, satisfied for that to be your life? Do what you do. Do what you've been called to do. Serve the Lord. Take the next faithful step. Then hold off the hand off the baton to the next generation, and go be with Jesus. Right? No one has to remember what you did here on this planet. Who's in charge here? Number three. So he says. Instead, you ought to say this: If the Lord's wills, we will live and die, or we will live and do this or that. So here's what we should say. But here's the thing, it's not only words, however, right? So it's not that James is saying, you can say all those same exact things, just tack on some words. It's almost like when you pray, Jesus says, you know, anything you ask in my name, that will I do. So we all traditionally, when we pray, we say, in Jesus' name. It's not necessary that we say those words every time. He means with a heart towards my glory, with a heart towards my will, with a heart that desires to honor me, with a heart that honors the fact that I am in charge. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And just like this, it says, if the Lord wills. But I think we all say this, you know, when someone asks you a question, hey, what are you doing uh, this summer? I'm going to do this, God willing. Right? That's fine. There's nothing wrong with saying that. Or, Hey, are you leaving this Saturday for that thing? God willing. Right? Instead of Yes. That's fine. I think these certain churchisms that we have, they're beautiful. They kind of define who we are as a culture and as a family of God. That's great. But he's not just saying tack on the words God willing, which is why I titled the sermon what I did. A sermon from James 4. God willing, right? So the service happening by his grace, and we all acknowledge that. If he didn't want it to be happening, we wouldn't all be here right now. But who's in charge here? Jesus said, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So don't just say, I'm going here, I'm going to go do that. You say, these things will happen if the Lord wills. So he's not presenting us with a formula. So the one thing we want to remember, he's not just giving us a formula. The Christian life is not formulaic in any way. It's a matter of setting our heart on Jesus Christ every single day and understanding he's in charge and we have a desperate need for him today. The question is, who are you trusting in today in your walk with Jesus Christ? So he's looking at the posture of our heart. The question is, who do you truly believe has authority over your everyday life? We live in an age where to question the authority of an individual is a cancelable offense right? He used to say to call anything a sin is the only sin. I feel like that's kind of moved on a little bit now. Now, if you question someone's authority to say, to do, to be, to want, to desire, this is now something that you have done that cannot be forgiven, right? Whatever comes to mind for the person, whatever I want to do today, that's the thing. And if you get in my way, you hate me. If you get in my way, you are a hateful person, right? And so we have convinced ourselves that in order to be happy, we must have every option of life available to us at all times without any limit of any kind. But you know, here's one way that that lives itself out in most of our daily lives. Have you ever gone to a store with one of your kids or one of someone else's kids and say, you have $10, right? Right? So pick whatever you want for $10. Is that ever not torture? Right? <laughs> Wouldn't it be so much easier to say, here are two things. You may choose one. Sometimes that thing can go into a 45-minute ordeal, right? And the kid gets so worried. May I have this. I have this. What if I have that? Can I have two more dollars maybe? Maybe. Well, this is $13.99. Maybe. I'll borrow it from you. You don't have it to give back to me. What are you talking about? But so this idea that I just have... Every option in the world, we want every option in the world, but we can't handle it. We weren't made for that. Like they were saying Friday night at the uh, Tough Questions, Real Answers event, we weren't made to assimilate all the information that's coming in at all times. We weren't made to contemplate every single job that everyone on the planet does and to wonder if that's me, right? There was a certain freedom generations ago to say, my dad's a farmer. I'm a farmer too. Why? Because we have cows. That's why. Right? So how much simpler is that? But you think you want that freedom. You must have that freedom. But in essence, it's exhausting. And this doesn't mean when we go to the Lord and we ask his will and we want to follow him, it doesn't mean we're looking for supernatural marching orders, right, on each and everything that we do. But rather the motivations behind our decisions must be that we honor Jesus. our priorities, we think about our priorities. Don't we generally affirm this list that's on the left, right? So if I were to say, hey, what's most important to you in your life? I think the majority of people would nod their head and say, Jesus, right? First, my spouse, my kids, others, then job, hobbies, etc. The decisions that we make are based on this hierarchy of priorities that we have. And if that is the, truly the hierarchy of priorities that you have, you're going to find yourself really walking in God's will for your life, right? If I want Jesus first, then I want to make sure that I'm there for my spouse and showing love for her. And if your husband, him, um, and then my kids, my family, my household, other people, and then myself, the things that I do, if that was true, you're going to find yourself making God-honoring decisions like most of the time. You'd be doing pretty well with that. But let's be honest with ourselves. If you just look at your daily thoughts, your calendar, your plans, the things that tick you off, the things that make you happy, the things that make you say, you know, I need a change in my life. this one down the right. When the priority is self and what my plans are, then after that, I mean, self. I mean, I got to make sure I look good at my job, making plenty of money and everyone knows it and I have the comfort that I like and that I need. Then reputation. And so instead of others, it becomes a reputation, the powerful, the cool, the important people, you know, the people that matter. I got to make sure they think well of me right? Then family, if you have time and resources. And then God, I mean, I guess if it's good for you to be part of a church or whatever, but isn't this the human heart? It's why we need Jesus. It's why we need the gospel. So finally, let's look at our final point. Just call it what it is. James is very clear. Which I love about James. So here's the two verses. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So James begins the final verses with, as it is. So in this current state, if your heart continues down this road, he says, as it is, you are boasting in arrogance. If you simply throw out plans without any word towards the Lord and any care about what he wants for your life, that is boasting, and that's arrogance. To make plans devoid of care for God's will and glory is being arrogant. You know, in 1 John, the same word for arrogant is is being used, and that is the pride of life. You know, when you hear that we to, to avoid the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is the same word being used for arrogance. It's the pride of life. This is what Jesus was tempted with in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 when the devil says, hey, why don't you cast yourself off the temple? Everyone will see who you are, and then they'll worship you. It'll be amazing, right? Why? You can bypass the will of the Father, and you can get something for yourself, right? The pride of life. And Jesus answers the scripture and says no, right? Right? you will not tempt the Lord your God. And in the same way, James is saying, when you just throw out your plans without any word towards the Lord, any care for his will for your life, that's the pride of life. You're going around, or you're trying to go around what he has for you. James draws really clear lines. And I think that's so helpful for us. You remember a couple of sermons ago in this same, in this same um, letter, He mentions the wisdom that it's not from above. He says the wisdom that is from below, the wisdom is of the world is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He doesn't give any gray areas. James doesn't give you any middle ground. And here James tells us to make our plans based solely on the best interests and desires of ourselves. It's not simply ill advice. It's not, it doesn't just fly in the face of spiritual best practices. It's boasting. It is arrogant. And then he goes ahead and just says it. It's evil. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil, so that's what's wrong with it. So even if we see that plan in verse 16 and go, sounds like a sound plan, all right? Go to that town, sell some stuff, make some money, excellent. Live your dreams, do your thing, follow your heart. James says, no, this is evil. This is evil to not run to the Lord first and for each and everything in your life. Sometimes we can make plans that we know full well aren't honoring to God, can't we? Something that we know, we just want to get it out of the way and do this thing before there's even a chance to think about it or for someone to speak into our lives. So of course we're not going to pray about that because we know what his answer is going to be. Our need for autonomy causes us to retreat into solitude so that no one, even the Lord, may speak into your plans. Verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, For him, it is sin. So he said, Listen, don't go making your grand plans without an understanding that your every single breath and your every single heartbeat is a gift from the Lord Himself. Don't go doing that. Instead, remember to say, If the Lord wills, that your heart would say that and truly understand. If the Lord wills. So if I go and do this, He gets the glory. And if I go into that town and I sell these things and I lose a bunch of money, Blessed be the name of the Lord, if the Lord wills. He is the point, not the outcome of the plans you've made over the next year. Are you really okay? So even the plans that you have worked very hard on, what if he says no somewhere in the middle or even at the end? Are you holding those earthly things loosely to where you can say, listen, everything else is extra. What I need is Jesus Christ. This is the point of the passage that we're looking at here. So James says in 17, whoever knows the right thing to do then, this is the right thing to do. And if you fail to do it, this is sin. So uh, by way of reminder, sin is doing, saying, thinking, desiring anything that God forbids. Or not doing... Saying, thinking, desiring anything that God commands. And earlier on in the same letter, James tells us, James 1, through 25, he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but to do her acts, he will be blessed in his doing. When you see what's in the word to do, do it. That's worship. That's honoring to the Lord. And when you don't, that's sin. Right? Whoever knows what to do, that's right. And in God's will and doesn't do it, that's sin. And Jesus said this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You want to do the will of God? Open your Bible, read the Bible, do what it says. Honor him, obey him. He says, don't call me Lord, Lord if you don't do what I say. So dear friends, we now know that God will not share his glory with anyone or anything. So ask yourself these questions as we close. Do we trust that God, the path that God has for our life? is the best path do we trust that he has what's best for us is there a part of you that feels like you must hold on to control that you imagine that you have so you don't miss out what if he doesn't give me that thing i really want do you believe that god might withhold good things that you deserve that you're entitled to Pursuing your own heart, a, part, a will apart from joyfully submitting to the Lord, will leave you exhausted and anxious. To follow Jesus wherever you may lead is the only true path to joy. You see, there's, there was a day that Jesus Christ came. He lived a perfect life that you and I could never live for 33 years, lived amongst the brokenness of this world. But then he died a death on the cross that you and I rightfully deserve to die. Three days later, he rose again, conquering sin and death and the grave. And he says, come to me, repent, turn from your sin, follow me, he says, I'll give you a new heart. Turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Sprinkle water on that heart and wake it up so it would be alive, that you could follow me and be one with me even in this life and then for eternity, that 10 million years from now. If you want to follow Jesus. We're here if you want to talk to someone after the service to repent and turn from your sin and follow him. He's the source of all joy, and his will is the perfect will for your life. Let's pray. Lord God, you are good to us, you're holy, and you're wonderful. Lord, I thank you that you have promised that we can follow you, that we can cast our burdens at your feet, that you love us, you never leave us or forsake us, and that every event in our life is conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, there are people here today who need to learn how to let go of plans that they have made, of reputations that they have uh, tried to create and are terrified that will crumble around them, Lord, of finances, of career paths, knowing that you have the perfect will for our life. Lord, I pray that you would truly be the top of that priority list. Lord, not just that we say that, but it would be true. And what every place in our hearts where that's not true, help us to repent quickly. That your word tells us if we confess our sin, you're faithful to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that you would receive all of the glory. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand together and respond to the preaching of the word. Wasn't that a wonderful sermon, everyone? (laughs)